Welcome to episode four of the Young Journalist Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Kroger. Uh, before we get into the episode, I just want to say I am working on getting this podcast on a more set schedule, so I don't go weeks in between each episode like it has been. Uh, so just bear with me on that. But now, this episode features my good friend, Maria Salas. Uh, Maria is a former full-time courts reporter at the Lorraine Moore Times. Uh, she still covers courts here and there for the paper, but her full-time job now is teaching journalism and communications at one of the local schools here in Laredo. Uh, in this episode, we talk about how it's like to cover courts and to if there should be a media literacy class in high school. So I really hope uh, y'all enjoy and let's get into this podcast. Hi, Maria. How you doing? I am great here. I just finished eating, so my body is happy. Okay, that's good. That That's always good to hear because <laughs> eating is the number one thing in my life right now during this quarantine. Which, by the way, how is your quarantine, like, self-distancing life going? Um, for my introverted self, it is a fun time. But for my um, quality, not on quality, um, physical touch self, because I, I, I love people. I love on people by hugging and, like, handshakes and anything physical touch. It has been a very difficult time. Um, I try not to hug my mom too much, so I only hug her when I'm, like, really, really down. Um, <clears throat> I've been spending a lot of time in my apartment. I don't go out. Um, bars reopened, and there's a whole side of me that wants to go have fun, but at the same time, it's like, nah, not high risk, you know? So, it's, it's, it's good some days, it's bad some days, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm surviving, I'm surviving. Yeah, no, I feel you there. I mean, during this quarantine, like, pandemic outbreak, I don't know what people call it. I mean, it is a pandemic, uh, officially, but me, as a person who doesn't really like to shake hands or hug people, I'm fine with that if we lose that forever. And two, <laughs> as you mentioned, because, like, obviously with stuff opening back up, like, obviously I would like to go to a bar, like, with my friends again, like, with you, like, with Adi, and with, like, Lou, with the people that we work with and whatnot. However... You won't catch me doing anything until 2021. So I'm perfectly fine just hunkering down in my apartment and not doing anything until next year. But obviously this is a journalist podcast, not a quarantine podcast. However, I did think about starting one, like a quarantine podcast. But I was like... Let's get this one off the ground first. Yeah, let's get this one off the ground first before I pivot. But obviously, Maria, I brought you on because I think you're a a great journalist, uh, especially for your young age. So... Um, first off, like, cause you got your start at LMT, right? Like your professional start was at LMT. That's like the only place. Yes. If, if we want to get <clears throat> technically recent, yes, it, it started at LMT, okay. which is the story of many people. Yeah, no. And I mean, so you were the courts reporter there. I mean, just talk about like your time being like, how was it being the courts reporter at LMT? Okay. So I started in, I'm going to give you an entire timeline. That's fine. Um, I started in 2017, October, and I was hired as a part-time general assignment reporter, which is similar to Adi's story. Um, and I did that for close to a year. Um, and a former coworker by the name of Joanna was hired on as the courts reporter sometime after I started. Um, and so we became really good friends and everything. And we would, um, 
work sometimes together if she couldn't cover something or whatever, Nick, Nick back then, our editor, would um, send me and stuff. And so <clears throat> fast forward 10 months into my first year, um, Joanna found a job at the Laredo College, and the court reporter position opened up. And so right before she left, she had began training me. And she took me first to the 49th District Court. Um, and she taught me, like, how she wrote, how she went about taking notes and everything, and then how the process of her getting court documents, reading them through, doing research, understanding the legal jargon, and ultimately writing a story. She was very detailed in her writing, and I really appreciated that. And so I picked that up from her as well. And then uh, in August, I believe, <clears throat> two months after I applied for the job, Nick finally told me, you're hired. So I became a full-time course reporter. <laughs> um, and my first case was Bernadette Berusquia. And she was accused of killing her husband, um, a veteran, I believe, um, over domestic violence. Like, it was a self-defense claim, I believe. Okay. Um, if I'm remembering correctly. If not, go look back at my stories. Um, and she, her sentence, her not her sentence, her charge was minimized to a um, an involuntary manslaughter. And she was given eight years in prison, I believe. Okay. Um, so that was my first case. Gotcha. And because you mentioned legal jargon, right? Because obviously with journalism, I mean, I was taught to like dumb down your writing sometimes, like make sure that like it's readable for like a person with like a sixth grade reading level. Like, I'm not okay. sure if you've been told that type of thing in like mm -hmm. journalism classes, obviously with legal jargon, that, that stuff can get confusing. Right. Like for okay. me, cause like, I mean, I've tried, like I've filled in for you like a couple times when you were, you were like on okay. vacation and I'm going to be honest with you, writing courts <laughs> is probably the most difficult thing I've done. Cause I was like, <laughs> how do I make sense of this? Because, like, obviously, because when I read the thing, I obviously just want to write it, like, put what it says, right? But how do you, like, make sure that the legal jargon is, like, understandable for, like, the common man or the common person? This is where I would talk to Nick all the time. And then when Zach came in, I talked to him. I talked to him, too. So, excuse me. Um, I, the way that I digest it for myself, I read I read, I read, I read, and I don't stop reading until I get the thing. And so sometimes that requires me calling attorneys and asking them, hey, can you define what capital punishment means? Or can you define um, how many years normally a person is given as a sentence? Or can you define a subpoena? Like, what does that mean? Why are you calling this witness? Da, 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 da. Like, it takes a lot of being in the Texas... Um, law book and then talking to the because i can't i have to talk to the pios okay. or the district attorney because um the adas which are the assistant district attorneys are not allowed to talk to the media unless it is directly from the da okay um and so that requires me to ask the spokesperson hey can mr alanis define this and so it just goes through a chain of command and reading and understanding. And so after I understand it, because I have my, everyone has their own way of learning. I'm a visual slash um, textual learner, I guess. 
I then go and I share what I learned okay. with the newsroom. And so when I had my seat at the at LMT in the in the in the room, I would turn around and I would. I'm sorry, Julia. If you're hearing this, I'm sorry for all the time I wasted. I would turn to her and I would talk to her and I'm like, hey, look at what I found out. And I would explain everything to her. And she would give me feedback and we would go back and forth. And then um, if I didn't understand something, somehow she did. And so we would just, you know, go back and forth. After that interaction, sometimes um, I would get up and I would either share with my sister or I would go straight to the editor and I would be like, hey, so this is what's going on. This is what the case is about. This is what the paper said. This is what the judge said. How do I do it? What do I write? How do I word it? Because I really want people to to understand this main topic. Um, but this all else goes into you know the case and everything else. And so speaking to both Nick back then and then Zach now, they, they helped me to make sense of my stories. And so by reading, understanding it myself, digesting and processing and then um, sharing that with someone else and then going back and trying to organize my thoughts. That's how I would write it in a way that I hope people would understand. And <clears throat> the way that I see it, yes, I'm writing for a community, a community that wants to know what's going on um, in regards to court cases, how defendants are being treated, how they are being processed and things like that. But my audience as well was, is, are attorneys. Um, and so if I wrote <clears throat> any legal jargon or anything and I put it into terms that people can understand, and if I didn't hear anything from attorneys, that was a good thing. Okay. But if attorneys came to me and told me, hey, you wrote this wrong, or hey, you explained this wrong, then I would double back and recheck and rewrite and make sure that I wouldn't make that mistake yet. Um, I don't know if any of what I said made sense to you, but that was the process. And it normally happened in the span of like, I want to say four hours. Okay. Because deadline has always been around, um, the late deadline has always been around like 1030, I guess. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would get out of courts at five, go to the office be done reading and researching by around like eight okay. and then writing and talking and just digesting everything. And I, I normally be done on a good day by like nine 45 okay. on a long day. I'd be pushing late deadline and turning in stuff by like 10 50. And I know that Nick and Zach hate that, but sometimes that's what it takes. Yeah, no, because obviously you want people to, like, fully understand it and not be confused, mm -hmm. which, I mean, I've read, like, obviously I've read some of your stuff because, one, we're friends, and two, because I worked with you. Uh, <laughs> like, and, I mean, you made it, like, I understood it, and as a person who doesn't really understand legal jargon or anything, like, remotely around that, I think that's a plus. So you made this stupid man, like, understand courts and whatnot. Oh, but, I appreciate that. I mean, but, now, on the other hand, uh, Obviously, yeah, you still do, like, you still cover courts for LMT, but you're not a full-time person anymore. Uh, you are a journalism teacher, like, at uh, one of the local high schools, like, uh, media teachers. I mean, you just got done with your first year. How was it teaching something that you've been, kind of like, the career that you've been in for, like, the past three years, really? Like, how was it going from being a journalist to teaching journalism? Um... So you know when you get on a roller coaster that you've never been on before? Oh no! No 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 no! 
Um, have you ever been to Six Flags? Yes. Okay, have you ever gotten on a ride called the Poltergeist? Maybe. Like, it's been forever since I've been okay. to Six Flags. So, the Poltergeist, you think it's going to start off like any normal roller coaster. You think it's just going to go straight and then, like, you know, take its time going up the hill and then you're just going to drop. Yeah. No. <laughs> the Poltergeist, and I invite you to go visit anyone who's listening, I invite them to go visit the Poltergeist here at San Antonio. Um... You sit on the ride, and you just you think it's going to start off slow. This ride just launches you forward. And by the time you remember, your stomach is still at the starting point. So you have to experience it to know what I'm talking about. But that's kind of like how teaching was with me. And so, I'm first of all, I'm very grateful that um, LISD gave me this opportunity. And then um, I'm very grateful for the people that I'm surrounded with in, in terms of my communications team at the school. Um, so the school that I work at is a magnet school, Fine Arts and Communications. There are several departments for high school students to join to um, enhance and or um, develop their talents in terms of music, dance, art, communications, um, and I think that's it. And so... What my department does, we are part of, obviously, the communications department. Journalism is communication. And I was hired a week before school started. I was a very late hire. Yes, sir. And I only had a week to prepare two semesters, well, a semester's worth of teaching. I don't have a teaching background. Um, And... I'm working on my certification um, because I was hired under um, career and technology education, the career and technology education program. And the requirement for that program was that you had to have experience in the field you're teaching for two years. And I already had that at LT. And so I knew what I was talking about. I knew what the, the career is. I knew what it took. I just didn't know how to put it into high school teacher terms okay and so with a lot of help from my team a lot of help from my direct supervisor which was miss jemmy Teran, she's wonderful 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 communications teacher um and the leadership at my school i was able to kind of learn to navigate as i went and um i just wrapped up my first year this may actually my seniors already graduated they weren't my seniors but I felt like they were, um, and all I can say is it was the best and worst learning experience of my life. When people tell you that the first year of teaching is the hardest, they mean it, um, because my mind was four different places at once on top of still being a part-time reporter for LNT. and so there were days where I didn't end my day until like 11.30 at night, um, and I woke up. I normally for work for teaching I wake up at around like seven, six thirty. And so I would go from like six thirty all the way to like eleven thirty at night. And so yeah, it was it was a challenge, but it was a welcome challenge, I guess. It kind of broke me from the routine I had of waking up, going to courts, going back to the office, writing, turning it in, and then doing the same thing. Excuse me, the next day. So Gotcha. Yeah. That that's cool, cause honestly, like as like a person, I would love to like go into like 
teaching journalism one day. I don't know. Like, I find that, like, fascinating to, like, teach something that, like, you've been in. But uh, I've also seen, because, like, since you are a teacher, and, like, I just want your thoughts on this idea. Because, like, you know, in today's society, uh, there's a lot of, like, obviously there's reputable, like, outlets. Like, obviously, like, we're going to stick with, like, the Laredo theme here. Like, obviously, we know Laredo Morning News reports the news, right? Mm-hmm. However, there's also, like, some, like, random outlets that kind of just, like, I'm not sure how to put this. I guess the fake news outlets, I guess you would put them, like stuff that are kind of like fabricated news, right? Do you think high schools should implement kind of like a media media literacy classes, like to like determine like what news is like true news and what outlet is fake? Because like I've seen people debate this and since you are a media teacher, I think you would have like maybe good insight on that. I think providing media literacy is important in general, Um, especially considering the fact that, and I'm just going to say this generation just because, because, yeah, just because, because it's the one that I've I've been having some experience with, Generation Z, for example. Um, Looking at how they ingest, consume the news, and then output it through social media, or even just class discussions it's interesting to see because a lot of them are aware of what's going on but they don't know how to put things into technical terms they just have these feelings like for example blm the black lives matter movement um i haven't obviously it just sprung up during the past month but i know that if i was having a discussion about it with my students they would be very outraged and they would think it's illogical that from their perspective, the government is not doing enough to protect black citizens. And we'd have a very emotional, heated discussion and they question why the media is highlighting or the media is talking about XYZ in terms of the cops, in terms of the government, in terms of the court cases or how the police is handling one of their own. And they would question the media. And I don't think they fully understand how the media works. Um, Everyone has their own interpretations, I guess. But there are basic rules um, for journalism and journalists to follow. There's ethics and morals and things like that that the students aren't aware of. Um, And so telling them the importance of how to consume the media and understanding story placement in a newspaper, for example, um, story choices and editorials, you know, the importance of, okay, yeah, we're the media, we're supposed to be unbiased, but here's what we think as a whole, you know, like they don't, they don't know that they don't understand that. And so to answer your question, yeah, I think there should be a media literacy class um because all of that is one whole topic in and of itself and it's way too much to cover in one journalism class yeah um so there's so many aspects for example just to a newspaper and i'm pretty sure there's so many aspects to um creating a newsreel you know a media package for tv and so my job and i'm you know i'm elaborating but In my job, I have to teach my students journalism 101, design, writing, um, 
legal stuff regarding journalism and how to interact online in terms of a publication because our publication has a Facebook, a Twitter, an Instagram, and we know what's, what should we say? What should we not say? And that's all that all kind of encompasses what the class is about. Okay. You know, and I, that's one thing I told my students all the time. Don't take anything I say face value. Do your research. If you have a question, if you don't agree with me, come talk to me. You know, let's find an answer together. And if we agree to disagree, then that's fine. You know, it's, it's okay to have different opinions. I may think something about BLM differently than you do, for example. Or I may think about ICE differently than other people do. And, and that's okay. You know, as long as the conversation is started and as long as we're getting educated about it, I think, is what's important. Gotcha. And I mean, now, different topic, because that's what the main question I was going to ask you, but Obviously, I'm always wondering, like, how somebody got into journalism, right? Because, uh, like, the reason why I got into journalism is because my journalism teacher in high school told me I shouldn't go into it and told me I would never be good. So it was, like, out of spite, be like, okay, now I'm going to go into this and, like, be good at it. And I think I'm okay at it. I don't know, like, and whatnot. But, I mean, how did you get in? Like, why did you decide, hey, you know what? Journalism is for me. It fell into my lap. Honestly, um, I moved back to Laredo in 2017, the summer of, and my first job back was as a research assistant for a professor at Time EU. Okay. However, that was only a summer job. Um, and so before that ended, I started getting on Indeed. I started getting on all these, you know, job platforms that help you find jobs. And I found, and I would look for writing jobs. My background is in English and Arabic studies from A&M in college station. Um, and I have to throw that out there because I'm, I'm an ag. Uh, <laughs> so I came back to Laredo and I, I had that job and I was looking for another one. And the part-time reporter job came up on Indeed. And I was desperate, to be honest. Like I needed a job, I needed something. And so I applied. I met our former editor, Nick, and it just kind of happened. Um, he, he gave me, um, no, it wasn't a part-time reporter job. It was the copy editor job. Oh. Um, cause, um, yeah, I applied for the copy. I totally just remember that. I applied for the copy editor job cause I was like, I'm good at grammar. I can edit. I'm good. You know, like this, this will be easy papita. And so I applied, Nick gave me one of those, um, like tests. Yeah. Um, he had his work on. I don't know if he, did, I don't know if you, yeah. Did he give you one? No, no? I never got one. Cause the person who I interviewed with is now our managing editor, Zach, who was the sports oh, editor right. at the time. Sports. Okay. You were, you're sports. Sorry. <laughs> and so, well, Zach gave me that AP test thing. Um, and I guess according to his standards, I didn't, I didn't pass it enough to be copy editor. Um, and he told me, he's like, well, there's a reporter job in case you're interested. And I'm like, all right, I'll take it. Like, I'll do it. I'll just, I'll do it. I'll learn as I go and I'll do it. Um, and so I got the job and Nick was very gracious with me. Like he was very gracious, very opening to teaching, teaching me how to write, how to be concise, how to be quick, how to transcribe, how to just interview in general. And that's how I started. I 
I never thought of being a journalist. I had never thought of it as a career choice. Um, and now I, I, it's difficult for me to see myself doing something different. Um, I, I mean, I know I'm a teacher, but I'm still at the paper. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't imagine myself letting go of being a reporter. Gotcha. That's really cool to hear, like, how it just fell into your lap and whatnot. But uh, mm-hmm. obviously you've done, like, some really cool stuff as, like, the courts reporter uh, at LMT. Because, I mean, the one that kind of that sticks out in, like, my head that, like, reminding is, like, your stuff on, like, the Laredo Axe murder guy. <laughs> like, who, like, who's now, like, jailed in Waco, right? Like, He's near Waco, yeah. Yeah, and whatnot. What's your favorite? Like, what's the one story? Because obviously, like... Like, one, like, when you retire one day, what's the one story, like, right now? Like, let's say you ret- retire from journalism, like, all together tomorrow, right? What's the one story that you'd be like, you know what? That's the one I'm most damn proud about. <laughs> um, I don't – I could easily say Triple X Murder. That would be – that's obviously one of my personal highlights, like, one of the ones that I'm most proud of. And I did that as a courts reporter, um, and it, it didn't get started by me. Um, it got started by Joanna, who wrote about the episode on Netflix. So for people who don't know, um, there's an episode on Netflix um, about a murder case that happened in the 90s in Laredo. Um, and so it is, the show on Netflix is called I'm a Killer, the first season, episode four. Um, and... I interviewed, well, no, Joanna wrote about the episode because it's obviously about Laredo, Netflix on Laredo, you know, and Joanna wrote about the episode a couple months passed by and one of the, the one who was convicted of killing, um, Miguel Angel Venegas wrote to the paper and he was, um, very concerned, I guess, for lack of a better word about how the Netflix episode, according to what was written, um, did not cover or, or did not show how he basically apologized. Um, that he, according to his words, and I have the letters, I can actually read them for you. Um, according to his words, TV just glamorized for entertainment. Yeah. And he didn't appreciate that. And so he wrote to talk about his disappointment in the episode and so I wasn't going to do much any of I wasn't going to do much of it because Joanna had already left to Laredo College um but I remember going up to Josh um which is one of the web design which is one of the designers at the paper and I sat down and I talked to him and I was like hey like I have this idea of maybe writing back to Venegas and scheduling an interview and maybe talking to him. And Josh was like, yeah, you should totally do it. Da, 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 da. And my fear was they're not going to let me. Nick is not going to let me because I don't have, well, one, I didn't have a way to pay for myself to go visit yeah. the inmate. And two, I didn't think Nick was going to think it was a good idea. And so I brought it up to Nick from a lot of encouragement from Josh and Nick was like yeah schedule it you know talk to find out how to how to get an interview if you can do it over the phone do it over the phone and if you can't do that over the phone then we'll talk about it and we'll see 
And so I wrote to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice and they were basically like, no, we can't do a phone interview. If you want to interview him, it has to be in person. And I told Nick and Nick was like, all right, schedule it. And so a week after I, and this was in February of 18, I believe, um, a week after I wrote, TDCJ was like, you're approved, come on by. Hmm. And I went, I went with my best friend. We took a road trip um, and we went and it was one of the most thrilling experiences of my life. Cause I mean, you're coming face to face with a killer, first of all. Um, someone who claimed that Satan made him do the killings um, and who in front of you talks about doing a complete 180 and trusting God and believing in God and how he feels sorry and how basically like he did a whole lot of damage, not just to the families of the victims, but to an entire community because he's not from here. He's from El Paso. So he's from the border, but he's not from Laredo. Yeah. He's from El Paso. And he grew up, he was born in, no, he grew up in Juarez, um, which is across the border. And so it was thrilling. And I still sometimes can't even believe it myself. Like I actually went to a maximum security prison in Texas of all places. Yeah. Um, and this guy talked to me like I was, normal you know like we were just having a cup of coffee which yeah. we weren't by the way yeah, no. <laughs> maximum security means visitation is just front face to face and there's a whole like a huge glass in front of us and little holes just so you can hear the other person talk that's gotcha. dang that's mm-hmm. crazy like i'd probably freak out because i'd be kind of i don't know the dude's a killer so i'd be like eh, like and whatnot but uh last question for you though maria before i let you go uh Obviously, uh, the last question I like to end on the podcast is like, if there's like one tip or like one like advice that you would offer to a young person who's thinking about going into journalism, what would it be? Wow, that, that that's a lot. Or like, to think about. <laughs> I don't know, like or like something that you would like to have known before you like entered the world of journalism. Something I would have liked to know, um, people love to talk about themselves. And if you're not sure about how to end a conversation, learn how to end a conversation. Um, so there's that. And then I think one of the things that I've always kept true to myself, um, these two years that, well, two, wow, three, um, years that I've been at the paper is basically just make sure you have all the facts. Um, don't write a story because it would hurt someone else or don't not write a story because it's gonna give a bad message about a person, about an organization. Make sure you always tell the truth. Um, and if that truth ends up being harmful to someone, then realize that it's not your fault. You know, if you're doing a good job being honest and always make sure that you just have your facts straight. Make sure you do your research um, and never be intimidated not to put out a story. That's that's one thing that I'm super like 
frustrates me a lot that people are intimidated into not telling a story. Um, yeah. We're writers, first and foremost. Like, yeah, we, we do journalism and everything, but we're writers. And writers tell stories. Yeah. So. Gotcha. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Maria. Uh, I hope you're Thank staying you. safe. And uh, talk to you soon. Likewise.